Epiphany, yeah, Epiphany, or sometimes called Theophany. Uh, both names are both names are very good. Um, and um, I got a text message from uh, somebody who manages like uh, some of the services uh, for us downtown, and uh, um, she asked some question about the feast, and she was organizing a potluck for us after liturgy last night. And then she said something along the lines, well, it'll all be good. Don't worry, Abuna, about the food or anything. It'll all be good as long as there is, uh, like, holy water and ul'es. And I was like, I'm glad to know that theophany is characterized by holy water and ul'es. And, like, there's nothing else that's, like, communion that's also going to happen. Like, it's just, by the way, like, just a, a little detail. And we joked around about it um, a little bit. She was just, be, you know, in good in, in good fun. But she was just trying to tell me, don't worry about the potluck and food and whatever. You know, the important thing is the feast. And um, I can tell you the truth. You know, like a lot of us don't know why um, a lot of the feasts in the church are so important, or whether they're important, or I don't know who they're important to, but. There's no reason that I can think of they would be important to me. And if you feel that way, I don't necessarily blame you um, for a multitude of reasons. One of the reasons is that there's a whole lot of feasts. There is seven major lordly feasts of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's seven minor lordly feasts. There's seven feasts of St. Mary. There's 12 commemorations of Archangel Michael. There's, it's almost like every second and third day, there's some major uh, a reason that the church is feasting. Um, and that just speaks to the celebratory nature of, um, of the church and how the church um, is, always, is always in a state of victory and is always in a state of rejoicing, even though uh, sometimes in our day-to-day -day lives, uh, you know, we experience hardship. That's okay. Um, we know that we know that because we have our place in the kingdom of God, and because we're living in the kingdom of God here and now, we have good reason to rejoice. So, what about the feast of Epiphany, or sometimes otherwise called Theophany? Um, what what's what's the what's the idea with what's the idea with this feast? To be honest with you, um, I got reading about this, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago or something like that, because I was curious. I was curious as to why this is like a really big feast in the church. Jesus was baptized, and I seem to remember learning in Sunday school that the significance of Jesus being baptized was for him to set a good example for us so that we too would know that we should be baptized, which seems very reasonable. Right, but it seems a little bit overplayed that it's a major lordly feast just so he could set an example for us. And um, uh, as um, as we uh, we read, we'll find that something happened on the feast of Theophany that had never happened before in the history of the universe, and that is what we are celebrating. So I'm just going to read the like a very short passage from the Gospel of John. And then we'll talk about it. And more importantly, we'll talk about who cares. Like, 
that's great, you know, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I'm sure once-in-a-lifetime events are happening all around us all the time. We don't make, you know, major landmark feasts out of them. So why is this, why is this um, such a, uh, a relevant um, feast for us personally? So this is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Why this passage in the Gospel of John? Why not uh, similar passages in the Gospel of uh, uh, Matthew or Mark or Luke? Why this passage in particular? Because there is a phrase in this passage which is actually not present in the other Gospels. And, and that is actually the secret of the whole feast. It's the secret of the relevance of the whole feast. The Feast of Theophany and Epiphany, before we get into this, I'll just make like a, like a side note, which is very, a very important side note, but not the, our topic for today. And it could have, been our, could have been the whole thing we're talking about, but we're going to talk about something different. Um, is uh, Oftentimes the Feast of Epiphany or Theophany is called that because the word Theo, God, Fanny or Fania, um, revelations, revelation of God or epiphany, um, like late, like a, like um, like an epitaph is at the end, or or you know, like an epilogue is at the end uh, uh, of a book, right? So like uh, epiphany, like a late revelation, you know, or a, like a final revelation is the revelation of God. Who is God in the Orthodox Church? The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everything we do is through through the power or in the name of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not just one of the persons. And all three persons are revealed in Theophany, right? The Father speaking from above, Christ in the, Jesus the Son uh, in, the, in the waters of the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him. Um, so the Holy Trinity is revealed for the, for the first time. We see all three persons of the Trinity, Revealed all at the same time. It's kind of a, like a Lois and Clark kind of thing, you know? So that's, I mean, that's a huge, like that's a huge reason of why the Feast of Theophany is the Feast of Theophany. Um, and, and that's really important, but we're not going to talk about that. But it would have been incomplete for me not to mention that, so I just mentioned it. Now we're going to move on to something else. There's a phrase in this gospel that I read right now in the Gospel of John, which is not present in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, although it's very important, in Matthew it says that the Spirit alighted upon him, which could mean a variety of different things. In the Gospel of John, right here in verse 32, it says that I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. So that last phrase, 
and he remained upon him. It's something that had never happened in the history of humanity since the fall, right? Think about it. In the, in, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would visit prophets and they would prophesy and then would leave them. Like King David says in Psalm 50, right? Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. So that means he had an experience of the visitation of the Spirit and he also had, unfortunately, a very sorrowful experience of the departure of the Spirit from him. Many times in the book of Ezekiel talks about the comings and the goings of the Spirit. So, in this instance, in this instance, we see that the Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him. What's the big deal? St. Cyril of Alexandria explains. I'm going to read kind of like a, like a passage. Um, and you can find this very easily in a book um, by um, uh, Father Tadros Malati called The Gift of the Holy Spirit. He has multiple different books on the, on the Holy Spirit. So he has The Grace of the Holy Spirit, The Procession of the Holy Spirit, The Fiery Spirit. But the, the book called The Gift of the Holy Spirit on page 12 you'll find this passage that, that I'm going to read to you right now, right? So he says, St. Cyril of Alexandria clarified in more detail the role of the Holy Spirit in the church of the New Testament. He stated that the human nature was corrupted in the first man, Adam, and all men were deprived of paradise and of the Spirit of God, the source of their life and goodness. We'll pause there for a second. So basically he's saying, God created us in paradise, and we were... We were living in communion with God in paradise and everything was hunky-dory. Everybody was happy. Everything was good. When we ruptured that relationship, we ruptured our relationship with God. We ruptured our relationship also with the source of life, the spirit of God. And that's what kept us well and good and alive. And that's what kept us incorrupt, right? The son who took our humanity enriched our nature by his Holy Spirit. He was never isolated from the, the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit is his own and one with his same essence. So he's saying that Jesus, when he was incarnate, he wasn't like incarnate without the Spirit of God, and then he was baptized and he received the Spirit of God, and so all of a sudden he had the Spirit of God again. No, because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of of the Holy Trinity, is the Spirit of Jesus, is the Spirit of the Father, is the life of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So it's not like he didn't have something and then he received it in baptism. He had it already and he received it again in baptism. Well, that kind of sounds kind of stupid, right? Like, forgive me, pardon my French. Why would, why would you have something and then receive it all over again? Like, what's the point? Like, but you have it already. So, what's the deal? So, St. Cyril will explain to us. Through the incarnation of the Son and His redeeming deed for us, the Holy Spirit renews our nature and lives in our souls and guides us towards the bosom of the Father. So, the Holy Spirit, He is the one who leads us in our life. And we're going to get talking about that when we talk about why is, it, why does, is any of this relevant to you? And why is this mean, meaningful to you in any way? When the word of God became man, he received the spirit from the father as one of us, not receiving 
aught for himself individually, for he is the giver of the Spirit, but that he who knew no sin might by receiving the Spirit as man preserve him in our nature and might again restore in us the grace which left us. Ah, here we go. Here's our answer. He didn't receive the Spirit because he needed the Spirit, because he didn't have the Spirit, because he had some lack which needed to be fulfilled, but rather he received the Spirit as fully God and fully man, that he might create a new pattern for us, that humanity receives the Spirit of God. Let me give you an example. This is not St. Cyril. This is just my own sort of observations of life. Anybody here ever been in a helicopter before? Okay, a couple of people. Anybody here ever flown a helicopter before? So, um, amongst the million and one things God has allowed me to do in life, um, I was working up north. Um, um, I was working uh, up north doing like rural family practice. And when I was there, uh, we would do helicopter clinics to um, uh, uh, First Nations reserves that were not accessible by road or boat, or at least were not easily accessible by road or boat. So, um, you know, we would go out once or twice a week, and I kind of became sort of, you know, friends or friendly with the helicopter pilot. And I asked him if I could drive. So he said, sure. So, you know, once you're up, like once he got us like up in the air and so on, I really didn't do anything. I basically just held like the steering wheel device thing, you know, and just kept it from like, if you let go of it, it'll kind of go all over the place. So he, just, he told me just hold it so that it stays right where it is. Like, don't push it forward. Don't pull it out. Left, right. Just hold it where it is. And I'll tell you what you need to do. So I did. Right? And there we are, just flying in a straight line. I really didn't do very much. Um, and we got carried away in conversation. And lo and behold, before we knew it, we were very close to where we needed to be. So he goes, do you want to land the helicopter? I said, sure. Right? So he says, okay, you know, just push it in or pull it out. Or I don't know, I can't remember exactly what he told me. And I followed his instructions exactly. Or I thought I did. Right? But we weren't landing on a landing pad. We're just landing in the middle of a field. Right? And so um, it wasn't flat. So every time I tried to come to land, I'd like practically like, you know, rip the, the propellers off, uh, off the helicopter because the land wasn't flat, right? So I'm just, I'm coming down straight, but the land wasn't flat. So uh, very quickly he said, you know, like, no, 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 bring it back up. <laughs> so we went back up in the air and we traded spots. And, um, you know, with his much more expert ability than mine, he landed in the middle of this field. Um, and that's when I learned that um, it's a lot harder to land a helicopter on uneven ground than it is on a landing pad, which is made for helicopters to land on. Very nice. What does that have anything to do anything? Imagine that the Holy Spirit is this helicopter, right? And he is... Like in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is hovering this day, today, right now. The Spirit of God is hovering over the world. And He is looking for souls. He is looking for a home where He can be welcome. He is looking for a home which will be obedient to Him. He is looking for a temple, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where he will indeed be respected and worshipped properly. So he's hovering, right? Now, since the fall and until now, the Spirit of God was not absent. We said the Spirit of God was working. 
but he would visit the prophets and leave. Why? Because he couldn't land. There was nowhere, there was nowhere for him to land. Then comes the God-man, the perfect human being, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit descends upon him and remains. He has no reason. He has no reason to depart from him. Right? And again, we said Jesus didn't receive the Spirit because he didn't have the Spirit, but rather he received the Spirit because he wanted to create a new pattern for us. So, what happens in our day and age? In our day and age, you know, you choose or your parents choose for you if you're baptized as an infant, right? To join the church. You're baptized, you're made a new creation, completely new, brand new, restored, like every now and again, about every year and a half or so, my phone becomes ridiculously slow. I try everything. I delete apps. I get more iCloud storage, whatever. I move all my photos and videos and whatever there. I blah, 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 blah. All these things. And finally, I realize that it's just because I receive about 200 text messages a day that I have a bazillion text messages on my phone and I never delete them. Every now and again, I work up the courage and it's really hard to delete them, right? What happens? My phone becomes lightning fast again, right? Every sometimes, sometimes I get so fed up of it. What do I do? I go into the settings, general, whatever, and I press that button, restore to factory defaults. You know, you get your brand new phone and it's shiny and it's nice and it works so well, right? And then a year later, it's slow and clunky and whatever. Your laptop, same thing, whatever, right? Restore to factory defaults, boom! It's like new, brand new. It's great. Who knew you could do that, right? Baptism is exactly that. It's restored to factory to defaults. And you're going to say, well, Abuna, that sounds really nice and all, but like it's, well, baptism is sort of like a once-in-a-lifetime event. So restored to factory defaults once, clean, brand new, like lightning fast, and it's great and it's fantastic, but then it's over, right? Because within like, you know, like, you, you know, 0.32 seconds, I sin, and I sin again, and I sin again. And like, you know, we're back to the cluttered phone that's like sluggishly slow, right? Yes, but no. I'll tell you something. What happens immediately after you're baptized in the Coptic Orthodox Church, right? Everything we're talking about is in, as, as, as we know it. I'm not here to talk about what other people do. What happens immediately afterwards? Another sacrament called chrismation. When you receive the Holy Spirit, often called the seal of the Holy Spirit. What is this seal of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you another analogy. Friend of mine, neighbor, like he lives like 20 doors down, used to before I moved, but anyways, right? Um, you know, they, they got like, they, they moved in and stuff like that. And so we went to visit them, you know, a little housewarming gift and this and that, and, and you know, uh, uh, and wish them well. And so we walk in, right? And we sit down and we're sitting at their kitchen table and it's this really nice kitchen table. Anybody here ever been to a store called Restoration Hardware? You are lucky people, right? <laughs> so my wife, God bless her, is into rustic kind, looking kind of um, furniture, right? So there's a store called Restoration Hardware where they sell incredibly expensive 
furniture that looks really old and used and ratty and like tattered and like I couldn't I can't get my head wrapped around it. So we walk in and what do I see? I see their breakfast table is one of these like $10,000 tables and I and I'm like, "Oh no, oh no. I just as long as my wife doesn't see it, we're okay, right?" So we're sitting at this table, right? And then I don't know, they like give me like a cup of tea or something or whatever. And then I look at carefully at the table, and it's this beautiful, beautiful table that is covered with this like plastic wrap, you know, the plastic thing, right? So my all my respects to my mom and other people's moms. Um, I think that plastic wrap is the tackiest thing in the whole wide world. If you're going to go and get yourself a really like chic and in, you know, table for $10,000, don't wrap it in this plastic. The, the re- it's really tacky, right? It's really tacky, right? And, and the thing is, is that, is that the, you know, this, this lady like who's our neighbor, right? She has impeccable taste. So I was shocked that she would have this tacky, you know, like the plastic thing on this really nice table. I couldn't help but ask her. I'm like, you have fantastic taste. What is with the tablecloth? <laughs> I didn't have another word for it. And she said to me, oh, they didn't have the sealant product but uh, at the store, so they special ordered it for us. So when it arrives, right, they're going to have special technicians come with the special sealant product, and they rub it into the wood so that you can spill anything on it and nothing will happen to the table. You can spill wine on it, tomato sauce on it, whatever you want. You can spill anything on the table. Nothing will happen to it. Why? Because it has been sealed with the special sealant product. Until then, she didn't want nothing to touch the table. Fortunately for us, we don't need special technicians or special product to be arri- to arrive from Timbuktu, right? The special technician is Jesus. The special product is his own spirit. And he says, let me cover you with my spirit. So here you are, brand spanking new, fresh out of the factory, restored to factory defaults, bright and shiny, and then sealed with his spirit, covered by him. It's almost like he stands over you and covers you like this in his embrace and says, whoever wants to get to John has to get through me first, right? Whoever wants to get through and put your own name there, God is saying has to get through me first. And that's the seal, and that's the seal of the Holy Spirit. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen until that didn't happen until the baptism of Jesus. People in the Old Testament had a visitation of the Spirit. The Spirit would come and would go, right? Like we talked about before. So we'll continue, we'll continue reading what St. Cyril is teaching us. For this reason, I consider the Holy Baptist prophetly added, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven, and he remained upon him. For the Spirit had fled from us by reason of sin, but he who knew no sin became as one of us, that the Spirit might be accustomed to stay in us, having no reason to leave or to withdraw in him. Therefore, himself he receives the Spirit for us and renews it to our nature and renews to our nature the ancient good. For thus he also said, 
For our sakes he became poor, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He also receives the Spirit for our sakes, that he may sanctify our whole nature. For he came not to profit himself, but to be the door and the beginning and the way of all the heavenly goods to all of us. Having in himself essentially his own spirit, he is said to receive him as man, with a capital M, preserving to humanity the order worthy of him. So he created a new order, a new pathway, right? Jesus forged a new path for us. He was the trailblazer that made a path in the wilderness for us, like it says, um, like it says in Isaiah, that path is for us to receive the Spirit of God and for Him to remain in us. Very nice, Abuna. And like this whole, all this stuff is, is really nice. But what does this have anything to do with me? Well, first of all, think about it. Everything that you put on the table now that has been sealed with the special sealant stuff, right, is covering the table. And you can put clutter from here till kingdom come on the table, right? And you can continue to clutter the table here and there and here and there and clutter away and clutter away and clutter away, right? But as you clutter and clutter and clutter, right? Nothing actually ever touches the table. So number one, know for certain and live for certain that you are pure, you who are baptized and confirmed in Him and sealed with the seal of the Holy Spirit are pure and holy and perfect and everything that God wants you to be, you're brand spanking new, fresh out of the factory. No sin, no shame, no guilt, no nothing can ever change who you are. Yes, after a while the table will become indistinguishable. The table will be like you can't see it anymore because it's covered in junk, right? I hate desks. My wife wanted to buy me a desk when I became a priest. She said, now you're going to be working like a lot from home, preparing sermons, this and that. Um, so uh, why don't we get you a desk? I told her, don't, don't get me a desk. I hate desks. The bigger the desk, the more clutter I have on my desk. I realize it's not only me. I think it's the overwhelming majority of people. If you have a desk... Its sole purpose is to be a place where you put stuff where you don't know if, where else to put them, right? So it's kind of like a junk drawer, except the junk drawer would be better because the stuff is hidden. This is just a, a mound of junk, right? And what did I used to do when I used to have a desk, right? I didn't learn this from like judging other people. I learned this from my own life and my own, and my own experience. What did I used to do every now and again when I couldn't stand the fact that my desk was covered in clutter, but I didn't have the the wherewithal to throw everything out, I would put a box next to the desk and I would take everything and I would dump it all off into the box. And I tell myself, one day I will sort that box, right? And I had about three or four of those boxes before I moved when I realized, hmm, I've never looked in those boxes for anything. Maybe it's time to get rid of them, right? And who knows what I threw out, but it certainly wasn't something that I was using. Yes, sometimes the table gets so covered in clutter, so covered in junk, you can't even see the table anymore. The table has become unrecognizable. The table doesn't look anything like it did when it left the factory. The table has, can we say, lost its likeness or the likeness in which it was created? Yes, that's true. 
But the table has not changed. One molecule in it hasn't changed because it is sealed. All the clutter is on the outside. All the sin and all the bad habits and all that junk in my life is on the outside. And there is something between me and the junk. And his name is the Holy Spirit. So every now and again, hopefully more often than less often, we need to put a, not a box, but a dumpster there, you know, and do a, you know, a fresh clean of all the junk on the table. So the table can look like it did when it came out of the factory, can have its likeness restored, right? When we talk about being created in the image and likeness of God, created in the image of likeness of God, but I look nothing like him, right? Because of all the junk in my life. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. You are never any different than you were the moment you came out of those baptismal waters. All that stuff is junk on the outside of you. Because all kinds of messages come to us in some shape or form from the enemy saying, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're slow, you're not as smart as everybody else, you're not as fast as everybody else, you're not as this, you're not as that, right? Um, and none of that is true. You are perfect. You are the perfect creation of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as perfect as you were when you came out of those baptismal waters, now sealed with His Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the same as the Spirit of God descended and remained on Jesus and remained with Him, the same as the Spirit remains with you and me. So nothing in all of like the, that we know ever suggests that the Holy Spirit ever departed from Jesus. In fact, the Holy Trinity is inseparable, right? There can be no separation in them. In, the same, in that same way, God is convinced and convicted to be with you forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There's nothing that you can do. There's not a, a number of times which you can reject Him that would push Him away. Even St. Peter asks Jesus, How many times should I forgive my brother in a day? 70 times 7? That's like, that's like 490 times you forgive the same person. I have difficulty forgiving the same person three times for something. He's saying, should I just forgive my brother 490 times all in one day? And Jesus tells him not 70 times 7, but uh, not, not 7 times, but seven, uh, 70 times 7. And see, he means like an endless number of times. If God is telling us to be endlessly forgiving, how much more is he endly, endlessly forgiving? Of us. The last thing that I want to share with you, why this is so incredibly relevant, is that the Holy Spirit is the, the person of the Trinity that is the closest to us. You take God's Spirit with you everywhere you go. When you're awake, when you're asleep, when you're in the shower, when you're eating breakfast or lunch or dinner, when you go to class, when you come back, when you're studying, when you go to work, when you go to church, when you hang out with friends, when you're hanging out with your family, when you're alone, when you're with people. He is with you always. In all that you do, He is with you. And I want to tell you, God is not 
His, he's not like obscure or distant. God is not like he wants to be. His God is only for like Abuna and Tasoni, right? The rest of us, we're just living our lives, hoping that we're pleasing to God. Like God is capricious and petty, you know, and he has things that he likes and things that he doesn't like. And we're just trying, you know, somehow to please him, like not to anger him, right? No, not at all. God is close to us. Like it says in Acts 17, Right? By Him, we live and move and have our being. Je- Jesus and His Spirit, it's His Spirit which is the closest to us. Yes, we encounter Jesus Himself in the flesh in Holy Communion. Yes, that's correct, indeed. But you encounter His Holy Spirit all the time. All the time. In every, in every moment, you'll find His Holy Spirit is speaking to you and guiding you. I want to tell you that God is speaking to us a lot more than we think. We just don't know it. In fact, even St. James says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights from above, with whom there is no shadow or variation of turning. Every good gift, right? Every, anytime you ever had a good idea, that was God's Spirit speaking to you. That was God's Spirit directing you. That was God's Spirit convicting you. That was God's Spirit inspiring you. That was God's Spirit giving you creativity. That's God working in your schoolwork. Everything, everything. God wants to be a part of every single part of your life. Everything. There's nothing in the universe in, in that, that could pertain to you and your life in which God is not interested. He's interested in everything. And the person of the Trinity, which is the one, he is the one interacting with you. He is the one like, you know, in the trenches with you, is the Holy Spirit. But when I ask people, which person which person of the Trinity do you pray to most? Most people say Jesus, a handful of, two, two or three out of ten people will say the Father, right? No one ever says the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, if I if I ask you, uh, you, you know, when you imagine God, how do you imagine Him to be? And let people just describe. People oftentimes describe Jesus, or sometimes they describe a king, or sometimes they destri- describe a, a father, right? And all of those are, are very good images, like, you know, that are scriptural, you know, and, and, and very much, you know, what the church teaches us. But rarely do people mention... Rarely do people mention the Spirit, although the Spirit is the one who is the closest to us. You know why? Because it's true what St. Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. God's Spirit is the one who gives us breath to breathe. Some things in life are so primordial, they're so, uh, they're so like part of just who you are, that you never think about them. In fact, most of them we just take them for granted um, until we lose them. And this isn't something you're going to lose. So it's very easy for us to take for granted God's Spirit. So this feast, to summarize, is such a feast. It's such a big deal. Because God didn't give us, you know, He didn't give us like something which was superfluous to Him. He didn't give us something which was extra for Him, right? He didn't, like sometimes you'll, you'll meet people, you know, um, who for some reason or other have kidney failure or have 
um, uh, liver failure and they need a kidney transplant or a liver transplant or maybe somebody who got into an accident or had some infection or something and they lost their cornea and they can get like a kidney transplant or they can get a liver transplant or they can get a corneal transplant. Uh, if you choose to be an organ donor, which is fine by our church, which is a different topic altogether, right? Um, you, you, can, you can donate organs to change or, or save the lives of up to eight different people. I mean, it's a huge thing you can do as an organ donor, right? And I'm not here to push being an organ donor or not being an organ donor, right? But it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal when you give somebody a liver. If you love somebody who has liver failure, you can actually donate half of your healthy liver to them. And what I, I actually used to do that operation where we operate on a healthy person who doesn't need surgery, but of course with their consent, right? And we do this massive, horrific operation with a 10% mortality to take out half of their liver and then give it to someone who would die without it. Th that person who, who's healthy, who's fine, who doesn't need surgery, says, I accept a whole lot of illness you know, and a whole lot of pain to get through this surgery and get better, and a 10% chance of dying. 10% is huge. Chance of dying to save this person's life and give them half my liver. That is an enormous gift. Um, you can do li living kidney uh, donations, right? Where you choose to give your kidney as a healthy person, you have two healthy kidneys, you choose to give one of your kidneys, again, to someone who, who needs one and would, be, or would die or would be really sick without one. That's a huge gift, right? It, it's, it's unethical, so it's not done for you to give your cornea, like your, the outer layer of your eye, right? Without a cornea, you become blind to someone who needs one, to give them sight. What a gift. I mean, so ethical issues aside, what a gift to give somebody the gift of sight, to be able to see. That's huge. That's enormous. But it's unethical for somebody to become like, like you, you know, to acquire a disability uh, to, you know, to, to, in, in the process of becoming a donor. So it's not, it's not done, to my knowledge, all corneal uh, transplants are done from, from corneas of, of people who are organ donors who have passed away. Or are brain dead and whatever. God doesn't give us, doesn't say, I'm going to give you a kidney, I'm going to give you a liver, I'm going to give you my corneas. Like even, even like as an Egyptian expression or Arabic expression, you know, like, like when somebody asks you for something and you want to say, like, that's it, I'll give you, I'll give you more, I'll give you my eyes, right? Right? Like as, a, as an expression to say, I'll give you anything, right? God says, let me give you my spirit. My spirit. Let me give you my spirit. Your spirit is what makes you, you. Your spirit is what gives you life. The difference between being alive and dead is, is the presence of your spirit indwelling your body. He says, let me give you my spirit. Have you ever, like when you were a teenager, had like a friend or something that was really liked you and so on, you know, in a good and healthy way, but then started copying you, right? And you go buy these jeans, they go buy these jeans. You go, you wear these shoes, they wear these shoes. And you know, at first it's kind of flattering, and after a while you want to kill them, right? Like get your own personality, you know, right? Right? Mine isn't for sale, right? 
God doesn't, God doesn't mind. He wants to give us not only His personality, His character, He wants to give us Himself. He wants to give us Himself. He gives us His own spirit. And He does, he does a spirit transplant. Without us, like Jesus, without us losing our own spirit, we receive His spirit to come and dwell within us. I tell you, people go through life and they have no idea what it means that God's Spirit lives with them. What a waste. What a waste. What a waste. Don't be that person. Today, make a commitment that, Lord, I want to know you. I want to have an intimate relationship with your Spirit. I want to live with you, Lord. I want every experience I have, no, no matter how exciting or how mundane, whether it's making myself some breakfast or taking a shower or finishing up an assignment or sending an email or calling a friend, or whether it's monumentous decisions in life, who to marry, where to live, what job to take, Lord. I want you to be part of every decision, Lord. I want you to be the decision maker. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more, Lord. I promise you, the single most effective thing to hearing the voice of God clearly in your life is to start today praying in every single prayer, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Make it like you are our Father who art in heaven. Your conclusion at every prayer, you say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Father Tadros in his book about the fiery spirit says the same thing about experiencing the fiery spirit of God. Pray in every single prayer, Lord, I want to experience your fiery Holy Spirit. I promise you, these small and simple prayers, repeated over and over and over and over again for months, will change your life. Change your life. Less than a sentence. Small, short prayer at the end or beginning, whatever, in, of every prayer, whether you're praying before you have lunch, whether you're praying as you cross the street, whether you're praying this, praying that, whenever you're praying, the morning, at night, in the shower, pray and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to experience your fiery Holy Spirit. And you will. God has made a deposit in you. He has sealed you with His Spirit. Don't miss the opportunity of knowing Him personally, experiencing Him personally in your day-to-day -day decisions, in your life monumental decisions, but in your day-to-day -day decisions. And as you encounter Him in your day-to-day -day decisions, you will then know Him so well that it will be easy for you to know Him and hear His voice in the monumental decisions of life. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.